I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Good afternoon, evening, morning, whatever type of day, whatever time of day it is where you are at right now. I am David Murphy, your host for another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show, joined as always, usually, periodically, sometimes, sometimes by Mr. Michael Sielski, who at the moment has a button on his shirt that is popping out a little bit, and I yep. can see right inside of it. Yep, yep, but I got an shirt on underneath, of, so I'm kind of cool. And because I have ADD, that distracts me. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Eagles today, specifically... You want distraction, pal. Just take the whole shirt off. Wow. I don't know if I'm ready for that, I don't guy. think you are. I don't think you can handle it. Um, we're going to talk about the Eagles today. We're going to talk about the Sixers as well today. Mike Sielski has a question that he asked off-air that we're going to discuss on-air. Debate, you might say. Is Brett Brown... Do we know if Brett Brown is a good coach, and can we find out this Yeah, Yeah, as he would say. Yeah. I can't. I can't do a Brett Brown accent. I end up lapsing into like New York, Brooklyn, yeah. too too easily. So I can't attempt it at this point. I can do like one impersonation, mm-hmm. and it kind of like covers every yeah everything. And you just kind of have to like pretend you're on the <laughs> receiving end of it. So the Eagles, you may have heard, are coming off a twenty-seven to twenty loss to your Washington Redskins down in Landover, Ni Raljon, Maryland. It was an ugly game on. Multiple levels. Multiple fronts, multiple levels. Number one, Big V. You know, I, if Chip, Chip Kelly were still the head coach of this team, I think he'd be governed by the fear of having Big V protect his quarterback. It was um, not pretty. It was not pretty at all. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sitting down trying to bleed out a column now about um, kind of the, the overarching problem that I think um, playing Vitae at, at right tackle gets to with this Eagles team and, and kind of the, the, the issue that I think everybody in the area, whether you cover the team or root for the team, is kind of struggling with, which is like, what's the point of the season? And I don't mean that in like a, you know, the, the sea levels are rising, we're going to elect either Trump or Hillary, you know, why although does it they, all matter kind of thing. Although they are, and we will. <laughs> I mean it in more of a, what is the objective of the season for the Eagles? Uh, because if the goal, which I think it ought to be, is to develop Carson Wentz, at least that was what the goal was at the beginning, was to develop Carson Wentz and make the transition from novice to franchise quarterback as easily and as um, uh, productive for him, as, as easy and productive for him as possible, then I'm not sure having Vitae play right tackle and you know expose him to risk <laughs> every single play is the way to do that. Uh, and if, after a 3-0 and start, the point of the season is to go ahead and try to win the NFC East, I'm not sure playing Vitae at right tackle accomplishes that either. And yet, Doug Peterson on Monday said that by playing him there, not only were the Eagles trying to win now, they were putting the best possible team on the field, and they were going to uh, get the kids some valuable experience. It was like... Uh, you know, this was the Ginsu knife of decisions. It just solved all your problems in one shot. See, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, as I already have while watching you struggle to type out the first few yeah. graphs of that column. It was ugly. It was ugly. <clears throat> because here's the thing. 
Say what you will about Doug Peterson, about Jeff Stoutland, about Frank Reich. They're not dumb, and they see way more of this team than we do. Mm-hmm. They see practice, which we don't see. They see you know, the film, which we don't see, at least not to the extent that they do. And, and they see the play calls and the assignments, and they are able to grade each of their players on all of those things in ways that we can't. It's just hard for me to... And I, you know me, I'm not the kind of guy to just blindly submit to authority. But I will say... Yeah, Dave Spadaro would be I'm very not going, surprised to hear your line of argument it, it's here. Going to be, it's very hard for me to say that Doug Peterson having way more information and firsthand experience at his disposal than myself, that he's making a mistake and that Alan Barber is a better right tackle than Vitae and the Eagles would be in a better situation without Vitae in there. I guess what I'm saying is maybe there might be a chance that Vitae really is the best option, and the problem is not the decision, but the lack of options. I understand where you're coming from. I would say in response to that, number one, their initial plan of action, once the Lane Johnson Johnson suspension became uh, a likelihood, you know, even before it was officially announced, the story gets out, it looks like it's going to happen. Their initial option was, move Barber out to right tackle, and play Stefan Wisniewski at left guard. So that was... Whoa, 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 whoa. Wasn't it? Was that, am I right about that? At some point it became... I, I'm not sure which came first, but at some point Isaac Samalu okay. was the answer. Now now that... See, so this is... I think it all goes back to maybe Stefan Wisniewski is just not very good, and that might be the missing link that, that all of us are missing. Because, hey, I'll say... From the limited, and again, we don't see half the stuff that, that the coaches see, but during training camp when practices were open, I was not very impressed by Stefan Wasniewski working at guard. He did not look very good. Uh, and I know he started a long time in the NFL, but that also says something because the Eagles were able to grab him on a very cheap deal uh, that nobody else was willing to match, much in the same way that they were able to do so with Stefan Tulloch. Or Stephen Tulloch in Stephen this case. Stephen Tulloch, yeah. Uh, yeah. But... So wait, anyway, I'm okay, sorry. Okay, go ahead. So originally, you're right. The plan was Wisniewski at, at guard and Barber. Somebody at right left guard and Barber. That right lasted for all of about four days, at which point the plan suddenly became, and it was an odd four days because Isaac Samalu essentially was hurt during them. Mm-hmm. And when we came back from the one preseason game, no longer was the plan Wisniewski at guard and Barber at tackle, but it was Samalu at guard and Barber at tackle. Right. And Samalu played awful in his first preseason game. So I think this might all come down to them just not liking Stefan Wasniewski at all, except as a backup center. It might. It also might come down to in the choice between playing the guy with four years of experience who is on the one year contract and playing one of the two guys, you know, who you drafted yourself as in the third round with Samalu or in the fifth round with Vitae. We're going to play the draft pick, and we're going to play the young kid. But again, that gets back to my initial problem with the objectives of the season. Which is it? If if there's a marginal difference between Wisniewski and either of those guys, if, if, if they're clearly better, if the young guys are clearly better, I got no problem with this. If Sam Bradford is still your quarterback, in a way, I have less of a problem with this because it, you know he wasn't going to be your future anyway. It was going to be Carson Wentz. The issue I have with this is it doesn't seem I ha, I, I'm having a hard time based on the way Vitae played on Sunday 
picturing a worst possible scenario. Well, that's your problem. Because, as I've told and lectured Phillies fans for the last five or six years, it can always get worse. And if you can't imagine a situation worse, it's your imagination that's the problem. I, and not the... not. I'm telling it, you, man, like... If you take Doug Peterson, so what? I guess work, all right. So here's, here's my thing. question. You, so what? What logical explanation does Doug Peterson have for playing the worst player? The logical explanation is we are trying to toe the line between. It's not logical. I'm saying it's it's a possible explanation is that we're trying to toe the line between rebuilding and winning now, and we think that playing Vitae will get him experience so that down the road he might turn out to be a good player. But right now, in the mo- and so in the moment, we're willing to sacrifice actually making the line a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense to me because in the process of sacrificing making the line better, you might sacrifice your actual I future agree. by Carson Wentz. I agree. So I just, but again, but I, that, I, but think that that, I, think, I think to believe that, you have to believe Doug Peterson is a dummy. We have five game of... Ex- I mean, well, I didn't he mean, wasn't I didn't a dummy mean to choke for, you yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't a dummy for the first three weeks. And he may not necessarily be a dummy, but there also may be other forces at play. You know, are we looking at an organizational wide decision to play young guys whenever we get a chance? I don't know. Right, but I, what I'm saying is, to, to for, if the organization was to make that decision, knowing that Vitae is that much worse than Wisnus than than Barber, then the organization is willingly jeopardizing the guy, the the quarterback whom they traded tons of assets for so to me like it doesn't make sense from an organizational standpoint either it, the only way the only way the organization it, it only it only doesn't make sense if you presume that this organization makes smart rational decisions all the time which they don't do number one and number two again if if we're talking about maybe this is a one-time blip maybe you know the kid was nervous maybe you know the kid had a really bad game but that doesn't change the fact that you almost got your, your meal ticket killed. I mean, you could have blindfolded him and shoved him in a traffic and he wouldn't have been in any less jeopardy than he was Sunday. Uh, and I disagree with that. Have you ever seen anyone blindfolded and thrown <laughs> into traffic? It can it, get pretty It dicey. can get pretty hairy. Um, I've done it a few times myself. Um, Daddy. <laughs> but I, 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 like I said, it, it, to me, it's part of a pattern of their their organizationally not knowing or not settling on what this year is supposed to be about. I mean, this is this dates back to the firing of Chip Kelly, which ostensibly at the time it happened was this should have been a playoff team. It was not a playoff team. It's Chip Kelly's fault. We then go through and we re-sign our core guys, Lane Johnson, Zach Ertz, Malcolm Jenkins, etc. We sign Sam Bradford, presumably because, you know, we think he can be our starting guy. We reverse all of that when we see the opportunity to get Carson Wentz, but we're still going to start Sam Bradford until the opportunity presents itself to trade him. And now we're playing a young right tackle with virtually no experience, with having played in a college system. I would almost, I would almost, you know, I would understand it if he played at Ohio State or name a program that runs a non-spread offense. Well, Ohio State left. runs a spread. Okay, offense. sorry, Ohio State's a bad example. Name me a program that doesn't run a spread offense that runs Stanford. something closer. Okay, closer to what an NFL Florida offense State. runs. Instead, you've got a guy, a kid coming out of TCU who is a right tackle, who basically doesn't block anybody for all of which the entire I, time he's here. I agree with all. I agree with everything you're saying, but your entire argument is based on a on the premise that there is a better option than him beneath him on the depth chart, and I'm mm-hmm. just not sure. I don't know that there is either, but again. I mean, 
It so was so bad Sunday. I know it was. It was, and, it was, and, and they knew it was going to be bad going in, given how much help they tried to give him, and even that wasn't enough. And watching it, it was hard to picture a situation in which there wasn't a better option. But I will say this: in defense of the Eagles and the organization, this happens all the time in the NFL, particularly on the line and with at offensive guard. Case in point. Like four or five years ago, I think, the Patriots traded Logan Mankins mm-hmm. to the Bucks. Right. And in his stead, Pro Bowl guard Logan Mankins. In his stead, they started I don't I don't even know if the kid's still starting on the line now. Um and for the first month of the season, everyone thought Tom Brady was done because he had guys in his face all the time. And the Patriots' offensive line just looked absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. And even the national punditry who love Belichick right. was starting to wonder what in the world he was thinking getting rid of Logan Mankins. That year ended with the Patriots in the Super Bowl and winning it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then I go to Green Bay this year. They released Josh Sitton, their Pro Bowl guard, and everyone gets all up in arms. and throw, You know, I, all I'm saying is that as loath as I am, to trust authorities that they know what's best for mm-hmm. us and them and everybody. In this case, it's they just have so much more information than us and so much more, you know, evidence to base their judgments on. It's just really hard for me to formulate an argument that they made the wrong decision saying Vitae is the best guy. I just don't know that I know that better than them. You know, and I and again, I don't see in your case what I the only thing that makes sense to me is that they see the difference between Barber and Vitae as so marginal that they might as well put Vitae in there in the hopes that he will reach an mm-hmm. upside that is far greater than Barber can give you and will reach it this year mm-hmm. the way those kids in New England did the year they went to the Super Bowl. Right. I understand that. I would. I guess the counter argument to that is if, if you have a meal ticket franchise quarterback on the way or here who you're trying to protect and grow – in Wentz, how much risk is too much risk? You know, are, are you doing, I mean, you, you you traded away a backup tackle in Dennis Kelly for Doriel Green Beckham. And now you're starting. But Dennis Kelly r- wasn't any good either. That's the problem. I don't think any, any of these guys, but, I think here's the problem. There is no answer. I think the Eagles are just a bad team. And especially when you start peeling away their layers of depth, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that they have no, I think everyone, if you were to ask the coaching staff, they would say all of these right tackles are equally bad. Again, Vitae looked especially bad. He looked, he looked like a guy who had never played against NFL speed before, Mm -hmm. but I think perhaps they're thinking our only hope is that it's a one game thing and he can at least, you know, be adequate Mm. from here on out now that he's used to the game speed the game power all that kind of stuff I think the concerning thing was that and Doug Peterson said this early in his press conference after the game and I just watched the first half on tape uh, before I came down here he missed a lot of assignments early on yeah like there were a lot of plays where he simply was wandering around right like not knowing what to do do. and that's the concerning part and that I think that's the argument for you know, maybe they overestimated how prepared they could get this guy. Here, all right. So here's the thing about Schwartz and Peterson that I'm, I think I'm picking up on, and it makes sense because all the great coaches have it. 
Arians, Belichick, they think that they they think they can take any player yeah. and prepare him to the point where that he, he can function. That he can function. Yeah. Look at Belichick with Jacoby Brissett, mm-hmm. yada yada. But at some point, talent prevails, and if you run into a good enough coach, which I think Jay Gruden, for all his faults, is a good enough schemer at least in the run game. He can figure out how to take advantage of your weaknesses. You know, like I think that was part of the reason why the Eagles finally got gashed in the run game. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's because everyone played poorly all of a sudden. I just think that they ran into a guy who understood how to attack right. Jim Schwartz's run run game. And at that point, once once this once one schemer goes against another schemer and there's a neutral advantage there, it comes down the to who has the better out. talent. And I think that's what's happening. And I think what we're seeing now is a regression to the mean and why regressions to the mean exist. I think you know, they know how to attack. They know what Vitae is a weak link. They attacked him. And there's just nothing you can do about it because Barber's going to be a weak link. I mean, do you remember last year that, that we, you know, like they had Tobin and Barber play mm-hmm. tackle last year and it yeah. didn't work out well. You know, I No, mean, it didn't. But it wasn't, it, it, I mean, it was bad. I don't know that it was that bad. No, but but I think, I think and again, I think the it makes sense if they say, look, that's not as bad as we thought, but hopefully it's just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and they may have also overestimated their ability to prepare someone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we saw that with Chip Kelly a lot, where you yeah, just sure. like, a, you know, this tortured genius the day after a game saying, we just have to execute better. We just have to execute better. Well, guess what? Like, turns out you That's overestim- as good as it's going to yeah, get. Yeah, you right. overestimated your own ability, you right. know? And I think maybe more than anything, these guys may have overestimated their ability to prepare Vitae to get to a point where he could play a game of football that would prevent his quarterback from getting killed. Now, the question is, can they do it again? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would. I guess uh, just on what we know, and again, you're you're right to say that they know more than we do, but just on the 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 surface level of Alan Barbary has been in the league, Stefan Wisniewski has been in the league and started a bunch of games in the league. By the way, he's an offensive lineman, not a concert venue. His name is Alan Barber. Barber, excuse me. Um, or a pirate. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I just I, natural reaction. I want to pronounce it. Uh, he correctly. could be a pirate. I've he never... could. Be. <laughs> He's like Steve the pirate in dodgeball. Um, I just looking at it that way, and and knowing what Wentz a what Wentz means to you. See this, it's so confusing on so many levels. Because I mean, there's also the argument. You know, given the way Wentz had played through the first three weeks, there was an argument to be made that the Eagles actually upgraded at quarterback by moving Bradford out of there. I wouldn't have made that argument, but there are people who would have made the argument that the Eagles actually got better at quarterback by moving Bradford out and putting Wentz in. They'll take more shots down the field. We see how that's working out. Um, And there was more mobility, bigger arm, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's... I I guess I'm having a difficult time. I I prefer a team and an organizational philosophy that is clearer about what its goals are and what its aims are. You know, again, we, we've touched on this before. Say what you wanted about the three years that Sam Hankey ran the Sixers. Under no, nobody had any illusions about what was going on, okay? We are breaking this thing down. We're building it back up. Nobody has any illusions now about what the Phillies are doing. They've broken it down. They're starting, they think, to build it back up. The Flyers are taking their time. Um, you know, they, they're assimilating young players, Ivan Provorov and Travis Konechny into the lineup now, but they didn't make major wholesale changes in the offseason. The Eagles, and we've been, again, discussing this ad infinitum, are, it seems to me, trying to toe this line of we're sort of rebuilding, but we're sort of winning now, and 
And I would argue that once you get off to a 3-0 and start in the NFL season, your perspective on that season has to change because that's such a significant portion of your season, uh, almost a quarter of it, that whatever you thought you might be at the beginning of that season, because you have so little of your season left and so much is now open to you, you've got you've to play to win right now. The expectations change. Yeah, you get off to a 3-0 and start – you're playing for a playoff spot. But again, your entire your entire argument is is based rests on the premise that they're not doing that. That Vitae is not no, the my, best option. I don't know what I don't know what they're doing. That's my point is I don't know. Right, like, but I they don't do, get it. But but I'm saying there's a chance that they do. You know, like there's there's if if Vitae's the best player of it, it best player to play, they're not it doesn't really mean anything to to what you discussed in terms of present versus future. If, I mean, but if Vitae is the best is the best player to play, then how could they possibly? I mean, they knew Lane Johnson was going to be suspended. Right. Okay, so if if Vitae is the best player to play, that is the best option they have available. Why did they allow it to get to that point? Because I think they thought. He, I think maybe they thought that he was better. I think they thought they could prepare him to the point where he didn't miss those assignments, and he would never be alone on an island. And I think that that just wasn't. There's just certain things you can't scheme around, mm-hmm. and I think the Eagles learned that this week, and perhaps over the last two weeks. And I think they learned on the defensive side of the football. I think what it comes down to is this team is just who we thought they were, and they're going to have to go out of their way now to. They can't be the. They can't be the team they want to be. The team they want to be. If you look at their stats through the first three or four games, was a team that threw a lot to the running backs and tight ends. Mm-hmm. You can't do that when you need those running backs and tight ends to hang in there and and you know help with your pass protection. That was one of the biggest reasons why they had such success the first three weeks was that Darren Sproles didn't need to hang out in the backfield uh, or at the line of scrimmage to make sure that that Vitae didn't get toasted. You know that takes away from you know like think about the runs Darren Sproles had or think about the catches and runs Darren Sproles had that changed some yeah. of those games that w- would not have happened had he been in the backfield providing pass protection so I think what you're going to see now is you might need to see Doug Peterson radically change his entire game plan and the Eagles just can't be the team he wants to be right now I don't know I, I again I don't know what team they want to be that's my point is that I you know they I would agree with that I I, I would have agreed, I don't know I would agree I would have agreed with that all the way up until they traded Sam Bradford and I think what they I think essentially what they said when they traded Bradford is like look we want to you know we want to win as many games as we can this year uh, but at the same time you know, we're going to do everything we can on a week-to-week basis to compete, but, you know, we're not going to keep Chris Givens over, you know, Bryce Treggs. I think that's, you know, I don't th- I don't know that this, I don't know that this is a, uh, you know, evidence of the cognitive, dis- organizational cognitive dissonance that, that, you know, you and I both spent a lot of the offseason talking about. I don't, I don't know. know, though. I mean, I hope you figure it out before you write your column. I hope so, I'm, too. I mean... I- because again, you know, I know you'll argue, you know, it can always get worse. I mean, they left him alone on eight plays, mm-hmm. and he still almost got. I mean, he he, he didn't block on any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I really have a hard time. This is life with a bad offensive line. Ask, yeah. Ask Andrew Luck how it works. And no, I, know. I mean it comes. I know. And, and again, it comes down to. You know, I think I think as bad as Vitai was. You know, his struggles are going to be exacerbated by the fact that they have a rookie quarterback who we all forget is still raw. Like that mm-hmm. last sack he took. Oh, that was awful. That's, yeah, that's but just I mean, all like, on that's, him. That's right. all on him. Yeah. But he can, you know, what, and again, I always talk about luck, but watch luck and watch him move in the pocket. Watch him make the most out of his blocks. They just don't have a quarterback back there who can, who can, 
you know, feel his way out of the pressure that's going to come from the right side. Like, I think it just, I th- put it this way, I think Vitae looks even worse because they have Carson Wentz back there instead of a, a better, like even Cousins. Like, he, he moves around very well, feels pressure very well, you know, knows what he has to do when he has to get rid of the ball. Carson Wentz is still developing that clock in his head. It's still, I mean, these last two games have been the first games where he's been under pressure at all. And this last game was the only one where he was under the type of pressure that Sam Bradford was in yeah. throughout last year, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's equally an equal number of questions on the defensive side of the ball. And I guess that's the question I would ask you, you know, everyone knows there's concern with regards to Vitae, but what are the concerns with regards to the 230 rushing yards that Jim Schwartz's defense gave up? Well, I, I mean, I think the concern number one is if an opponent makes a concerted effort to take Fletcher Cox out of a game or neutralize him, you have that defense has major major problems. Um, but why wouldn't any of every opponent try to do that? I don't know. You got through three or four weeks where they didn't. Well, it seemed. I think part of the reason is why because Benny Logan's having a hell of a year. Yeah, and he was and a they man, lost him. He was a man eater in the in the first quarter there, and they lost him. And uh, they were a different team after that. But again, I think it comes down to personnel. I think, it, and this is what I will be writing at some point, perhaps today. Um, I think what we're seeing is the importance of, over the next five to ten years, the Eagles maintaining the same personnel philosophy and schematic philosophy on both sides of the ball so they can draft players to fit those schemes. For example, I don't know that Jordan Hicks, as I wrote this morning, is Jim Schwartz's kind of linebacker. You know, Jordan Hicks is kind of one of these guys everyone just assumed was, you know, an heir apparent mill Mm -hmm. of linebacker of the future, problem is Jim Schwartz has given no indications that he feels that way mm-hmm. from the from going all the way back in the training camp when he couldn't wait to get an aging Steven Tulloch in here presumably to play middle linebacker right. um, and I think we're seeing a little bit I think we saw throughout the Redskins game why that is I mean Hicks is more of or of the two gap kind of like um, you know he needs he needs he needs to be able to make plays in open space he needs guys who are going to keep keep you know linemen off of him and I think Schwartz's scheme, the way I understand it, and the way he explained it, and the way Tulloch played when he was in Detroit, and the skill set that he brings to the table, you know, he wants linebackers who have one assignment and are going to execute that assignment, and oftentimes that assignment is blowing up the blocker in front mm-hmm. of them. And that's just that's, that's not that's Hicks. just not Jordan Hicks's not forte. Hicks. But if Jim Schwartz was here two years ago, he might have told them that, and they might not have spent a third round draft pick on Jordan Hicks. Same as if Doug Peterson was here three years ago, they might not have spent a third round draft pick on Josh Huff. You know, like I think that when you look at the organizations that have sustained success year to year success from uh, Carolina to Pittsburgh, to green Bay, to new England, they hire coaches to fit their organizational personnel philosophy. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. And I think that's what the Eagles need to do because they can't keep on, I think what we're seeing right now is just the imperfect parts that we have that the Eagles have to fit their schemes. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. I think I think it's just an overall kind of lack of depth. And I do think that um, you know you have to hope that um, you know their personnel department with some of the additions they've made there um, is able to figure out what players fit 
in that regard. I mean, that would be the big concern from my end of things. But you have to you have to have the team scheme three years from now for those draft picks to, to I understand, be worth. Yeah, it. no, I understand that. But but like what happens if Jim Schwartz gets a head coaching job this year? Even right. though it does not. I mean. Jim Schwartz does not seem to be a hot head coaching candidate no. as much as he would like himself. No, to be. <laughs> no, of course not. Um, I mean, I, I was I was told that the NFL puts out every year, puts out like a list of head coaching candidates that it distributes to all its teams with openings, essentially mm-hmm. like saying, "Hey, these are guys we approve of." Do right. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or like, these are guys we think you should be interviewing. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of minorities on there. There's a lot of like, I, I just think that, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's the league. Saying, hey, these are guys that fit our image, right. you know, and, and you know, we think would be would not will not embarrass your your franchise. And apparent I was told Jim Schwartz was not on that list this best <laughs> offseason. You know? I think he's got a reputation around the league. Um Well, we, I mean, look, we've talked about this before and I and I wrote about it off Sunday's column. Like I, I'm not somebody who generally complains when coaches, players, executives don't talk to the media. I think that's a that's kind of a trumped up uh, complaint by sports writers who just want quotes to fill the 700 words that they have to write each week. But I do think that, and, and Schwartz hasn't spoken after any game so far this season. And I, but I do think that it would have he would have done well to have talked after that game Sunday to have broken protocol because the performance was so bad, and it was the second week in a row that his defense really, you know, had contributed to the team losing a game. Um, and I, to get to your point, I think that's something that speaks to, you know him as a head coaching candidate like it's something that i would think other teams would take a look at like hey you know come and face the music sort of thing it's a tough situation for him too because he also doesn't want to appear to be throwing himself out there to talk for the team as a former head no he doesn't have to do that i mean i I know i I, I think there's i think that's i think there's a lot that gets that, that that gets made that's being made into something because of the nature of Schwartz's personality. Right, but it's also being made into something because he was very careful not to do that the first... Like, he said he said several he times... He was careful at, and after the first right. press conference he gave where he his natural inclination right. was... Like, it shouldn't be that hard... To me, it shouldn't be that hard for a defensive coordinator who was one time an NFL coach to say, look, guys, I'm not the head coach. I'm not going to address those questions. Here's what I'll talk about. To me, it strikes me like Schwartz. Schwartz's natural inclination is to answer those questions as if he were a head coach. Right. Which is you know, maybe that's why he keeps himself from that. May be <laughs> talking to okay, the media. But, but that to me is a drawback. Right. Like I agree. you know, right. that that to me is something like it shouldn't be that difficult to like know your place, right. for lack of a better way of putting it. So um, my only point is that I think the Eagles. What we're seeing right now is that the Eagles have a lot of imperfect parts for all of the things that they're trying to do and you see it in the wide receiver core Mm -hmm. you know uh they seem to like Nelson Aguilar I don't know if that's just them being polite but they certainly don't have players who I would flag as Andy Reid system type players at this point you know I feel no they're kind of a they're kind of a mishmash right they're they're they really are um and I think that what we've seen especially I think Doriel Green Beckham and how they've deployed him has in case in point where they're trying they're making the most out of imperfect parts right now you know like they've got packages where they can take advantage of what Doriel Green Beckham does well but in this offense a, a wide receiver like Doriel Green Beckham you need some you so you need someone more versatile than him yeah Do you know what I'm saying yeah and I, same thing with the running backs you know like I go back to Ryan Matthews he, he only took 11 snaps this week I think mm-hmm. but he carried the ball nine of those 11 snaps like that's a that's a that's not Brian Westbrook. That's not Brian Westbrook's no, style. No, but it's also not... It, it limits you if the only time he's in there 
is on running place. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it, but it, that's my point is that Westbrook t- put talent aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what Westbrook could do, he could block, he could catch but, out of the backfield, he could run the ball. You know, that's, you don't need somebody to do it at that level to fit into this kind of offense. I guess all, all I'm trying to say is this is just a team that's not a good team. And I think we're starting to see that. And the 3-0 start may have uh, veiled that a little bit, obscured that a little bit. But look, we've... we. All of these things that we're talking about, we talked about before the season. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about, wow, they really don't have much running back depth. Wow, someone gets hurt on the offensive line, yeah. they're in trouble. Wow, you know, look at their secondary depth. Wow, the linebackers aren't very good. I mean, that's all the stuff that's starting to come to roost right now. You know, it's not, there's really, I, I don't know that there's much to explain. You know, maybe we're making it more complicated than yeah, it is, maybe. and this team just kind of outkicked its coverage the first few weeks. Yeah, it could be. Is there any validity to that? Yeah, I think there is. Um, like, is this, what do you see this team? Like, when's the next win they have? I don't think there. I mean, I don't know. Like, and that's that's a loaded question in the sense that all my questions are loaded. Yeah, like you would have you would have asked the same question about the Miami Dolphins before Sunday, and they went out and beat the Steelers. Yeah, but that's I I think that's and I wrote this before this game. In the NFL, you cannot overcorrect your opinion at all because it's a week to week thing. It's mm-hmm. a matchup against matchup thing. Certain teams match up well. Certain situations, one injury, as we saw, like Benny Logan, that was the one injury. Mm-hmm you know, that killed them. Um, you know, again, Lane Johnson, one player can make a difference on both sides of the ball. So, so I just don't know that you can, I, I think that's where these fluke games happen. And I think w- once the season's over, we're going to look back on their pasting of the Steelers as one of those games, same way, you know, the Eagles managed to beat the Patriots last year mm-hmm. when it turns out Chip Kelly was virtually already fired, you know, like you just can't explain some things, in the NFL, but as, as the sample size grows larger, you know, teams start to become who we thought they were, you know, RIP Denny Green. That was 10 years ago, by the way. <laughs> it, on was. Sunday. it was 10, 10 years ago, Sunday. It was. Um, One of the and I just think the Eagles presses. are who we thought they were. And I think that, you know, any anybody that writes them off net for this next week against the Vikings is making the same mistake because I think the Eagles defense happens to match up pretty well with the Vikings offense. The Vikings do not have a great offensive line play. And the Eagles bring pressure. And I don't know that the Vikings run the ball very well with Jarek McKinnon. And, and you know, I don't know that Jarek McKinnon is the type of runner that gives the Eagles problems. Um, you know, I, I think that Sam Bradford's going to be in for a bit of a tough game on Sunday, just looking at how these two teams match up. I don't know. I, I would have thought that heading into Sunday. And, again, you don't know what's going to come up. Uh, I would have thought that heading into the Redskins-Eagles game that you think – you know, the Eagles will apply pressure on Kirk Cousins, and he'll make yeah, some mistakes. The Redskins have a great, great offensive line. They have a good offensive line. It's not, I don't know that it's great. It's pretty great. I don't know about that. I mean, um, Trent Williams. Trent be, Williams is terrific, but I don't know that the I mean, rest of the line Sheriff is, great. is great. I think sure. Anyway, whatever the case, it's a lot better when you're looking at it compared to the Vikings. It's a lot better than the Vikings' offensive line, and yeah. they they weren't able to put pressure on Cousins last year because again, Jay Gruden gets the ball out fast. Kirk Cousins doesn't take a ton of sacks. Um, you know, again, it was just this, this Redskins team. It's not a fluke that they've won four in a row now against the Eagles. It, these two teams just don't match up, or mm-hmm. the Eagles just don't, don't match, match up, up well, well against against the Redskins. Same reason why, you know, if you're, I think Detroit plays Washington this week. Like that's going to be an interesting game because mm-hmm. those two teams, like they're very evenly matched. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I think they're very similar teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still getting back to kind of where we began. I'm I'm not as sold on the the, the smartness yet of Doug Peterson. Um, as you might be, um, and I'm, I'm still- not saying he's smart. I'm just saying he's not. He's not going to like knowingly do something that's 
not in his best interest. He's not going to make the team worse just because. You know? No, I know There's that. There's a reason why Vitae is starting at right tackle. Yeah, but his re- he still might be wrong. My yeah. point, you know, it's, it's, you know, in theory, I agree with what you're saying. And I've I think he was position, wrong. You know, okay. But I also don't, I think he was wrong that he thought Vitae was ahead of where he was. But I don't know that that necessarily means that he was wrong that Vitae is his best option. I just think he needs the call. I just think he needs to like, like, I I think he I think he was surprised that Vitae mentally missed a lot of the things that like I think Doug Peterson would have told you if Vitae had just executed and gone where he was supposed to go, it would have been a lot different game for him. Maybe. I mean, there Maybe. was the one that Kerrigan's first sack came. You know, Brent Selleck ended up blocking him solo mm-hmm. and Vitae was just kind of like twisting around looking for somebody to block like yeah. to me that's a clear example of that sack would not have happened if that was Brent Selleck and Vitae on Kerrigan mm-hmm. and I think that's something Doug Peterson would tell you I, yeah. we're gonna find out yeah I mean I we'll don't think out. I think the jury is very much still out on Doug Peterson and I think that we're seeing why now you don't even three and oh you don't get you don't overcorrect your opinion in the NFL mm-hmm. um hang on for one second yeah. Sorry about that. There was a knock on our door. I'm not sure who it was. I think people get jealous sometimes that they... Here's the one thing I've learned about office culture. Like, within a corporate office where there are cubicles and then there are actual self-contained offices, people get really jealous of anybody that's in an office. Oh, yeah. And, like, I see anytime I'm in here... So, our podcast studio, quote-unquote, scare quotes, is just (laughs) an empty office, um, of which there are a few in this building... And anytime I'm in here, you know, editing this audio or waiting for Mike to get his head out of his butt hey. and finish his column, um, I mean, it's a nice butt. But anyway, it is. I'll sit here with it the is. door open and, and people will walk by and like kind of like look in with that like, ooh, who's that? He's in an office, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and why they, is he wearing sweatpants? They, they dare to open the door because there are no windows to the office. Like, so. You know, the editors and the executives, you can walk past them and kind of longingly look in like, wow, you have your own desk and office and coffee maker. And isn't that wonderful? Here, it's just like, dude, who's in there? And can we steal that office? This for is five like minutes? the Mad Men. This is like in the 1960s, this would be the office you came into to, yeah. to commit adultery. And now, interestingly enough, having been in the Sixers new practice facility. Oh, but wait, wait. All right. So okay. before we go to Sixers. All right. What do you think? So you're predicting a loss against the Vikings? I'm predicting a loss, Because yes. here's the thing, and again, I, I wrote this last With week. reservations, I'm predicting even a loss. Be- even before this past loss to the Redskins, I still had the Eagles at like a 6-10, and 7-19 and 19 mm-hmm. because of their schedule. So I'm curious now what you think of... I mean, before the season, I had them winning... I had our, them at 6-10 and 10 before the season. Okay. Well, let's, let's look at their schedule because... So you have them losing to um, the Vikings, A. Yeah. Skull. By the way, what does Skull mean? Have you heard that chant? No. All right. You're worthless to me. I am. Um, it's this feeling's ch- mutual. So it's, this, it's this chant. Mm-hmm. It's S-K-O-L. As in the tobacco? Uh, that's S-K-O-A-L. A-L. Right. Okay. But they chant the skull, skull, skull thing. It's like, a, I think it's a Nordic thing. Okay. I just don't, I think it's kind of dumb. Um, Not big, if you're in Minnesota, man. See, Big Ben officially out for the Pats. Wow. Small row. Oh. Let's see here. I'm looking at the Eagles schedule. Everyone just uh, talk amongst yourselves for a moment. So, all right. So we've got, you got the Vikings, which I think is a loss. You've got the Cowboys. Yes, at Dallas. At Dallas, which I think is probably a loss. At Uh, New York Giants. At New York Giants, a win. Really? Yeah. 
Okay. I think they match up well against that team. Um, I don't think much of that defense, even with all the additions. Home against the Falcons. Uh, loss. At Seattle. Loss. Home against the Packers. Ooh, will Aaron Rodgers have straightened himself out by then? It's first of all, it's Mike McCarthy. Yeah. I, I, boy, I don't know. I'm inclined to say a loss only because of Rodgers. Yes. At the Bengals? Loss. All right. So at that point, you have them, what are they, three and two right now? Yeah. I've got them four and three and three, three and four, four and four, four and five, four and six, four and seven, four and eight. So you have them four and eight mm-hmm. going into the Redskins game at home. All right. Win? Win. Five and eight. At the Ravens. Loss. That's going to be an interesting game because that Ravens team is not they're not as good. good as his record. Yeah, but so 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 much can happen between now and then. I'm going to put that down as a win too. Did you say loss? Or I win? said loss. Okay, so you have them at five and nine. Nine home against the Giants. Win, win. six and nine home against the Cowboys. Nice. Yeah, six, six and, and ten. Yeah, six and ten. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think this is a six and ten. I think their ceiling right now is seven and nine. I think that they'll. Uh, I would not be surprised if this is an ugly next week, an ugly game against the Vikings. The only thing that I, I think the the biggest thing they have going against them is Vikings coming off a bye week. Mm-hmm. Could and, be rust. Yeah, and I, I do think that there's something to be said for a smart guy like Sam Bradford knowing what you do philosophically. You know, I yeah, think, Doug really. Um, I didn't watch the press conference, down. but did, was he like offended by that or something? He well, Bob Ford was the one who asked him about it, and. He was. He came off as kind of annoyed by the idea of it. Like, well, they don't have our playbook. Well, only one guy has our playbook. Right. As if Sam Bradford would not talk to his coaches or his teammates about anything, you know, like Omerta kind of thing. Like, yeah. Once you play for the Eagles, you know, you don't speak of them again. Um, you know, and he and and Doug dismissed it, saying, you know, hey, Donovan McNabb had our playbook when he was with the Redskins, and I was with the Eagles in 2010, and we we did okay against them. Um, but it does matter a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a little... I think it matters more philosophically. Like, you know, what does he like to run? Mm-hmm. You know, when we count... Because, I mean, if you watch a team, everything's on tape. If you watch, you know, everybody knows what everybody runs. You yeah. Know? I mean, you can watch a tape and see what this right. guy likes to run against, you know, cover three or, you know, cloud or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I think... Where you know signals, I think is is probably one of the biggest things. Like I, my sense is that Peterson gives Wentz two plays when he goes up to the line. I would assume one's a man play, one's mm-hmm. a zone play, um, or one's a run look and one's a pass look. And you know, there's some sort of signaling between all the all the players who need to adjust their routes and their their assignments accordingly. I think that that's. You know, but again, he, you know, maybe it's just a matter of changing the signals. Yeah. Um, you know, I look, all information is good. I think that the way these guys act with regards to injuries and the silence <laughs> that they have, it seems a little hypocritical to yes. then suggest that uh, it's no big deal that the guy, right, <laughs> the, the quarterback has, knows has your entire access playbook. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like, can't have it both ways. You know, it's like, uh, we're not going to tell you where, where on the lower body this guy is injured, <laughs> but it's not a big deal that Sam Bradford spent the last. Year and six, a, yeah. yeah, six months absorbing everything we try to do offensively. But like you said, do make your segue to uh, the Sixers. Well, I was going to say we were talking about offices in this building, and uh, the one where we're recording this podcast does not have any windows, and the executives and editors do. What's interesting about that is in the Sixers' new practice facility, 
when you're on the practice court, at least the way the building is set up now, you can look into all the offices of people like Brian Colangelo and Brett Brown and the other executives and assistant coaches. What about the social media intern? Uh, wouldn't know him if I step, stepped on him. You know, wouldn't know if I bumped into him. Um, you, I don't know if I could see his office or not. That's awfully dismissive of a social media intern. I'm Big dismissive Mike, of most interns. Is that what you do with interns? Just step I on dismiss them? them out of hand. Anyway. Has anyone ever dismissed in any other way other than out of hand? I don't even know what out of hand means. And I'm not even sure either, but you hear that all the time. It's like dismissed out of hand. You yeah. know, it's like one of those phrases that... Anyway, we wanted to talk a little bit about, to kind of move away from the Eagles just a little bit, um, because the Sixers are going to be starting uh, their season next week. Um, a question, Wednesday. Yeah, a week from a week from today, the day we're reporting this, recording this podcast. It's Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? I... <sighs> I'm just... You're really out of sorts today. I am out You're of sorts right? today. I'm tired. I'm you really talk, tired. You want to talk about anything? Should we shut this microphone off? And Well, if you, if you want to talk about, like, parenthood okay. and uh, and dealing with two young kids... Hey, man. Like, that's... You got yourself... I will in, unload on you. You got if, yourself into that mess. I, I know. There's a reason why... I know. I made I made a life decision, and you made a life decision, <laughs> and I, I do not want to be burdened with uh, the consequences of your actions. That's... That's fine. When the uh, when the recording when we stop recording, I will I will unload on you. Um, but the question I wanted to to raise, Bob Cooney from the Daily News had an interesting piece today, um, talking about whether the Sixers could make playing Joel Embiid and Jaleel Okafor on the floor at the same time work over the long term. And which Keith Pompey said last week, no, no. Um, and my question out of that is. Why not? You know, does this mean that Brett Brown, what what do we, I guess the question I have is what do we know about Brett Brown as a head coach? Which is to say there's, there's kind of this presumption and there has been this presumption that because the roster was so depleted purposefully that Brett's just a really good coach who's stuck in a terrible situation because he has no talent. And I'm, I'm looking at this season and saying, okay, well, this season he will have more talent than he's had in the past. And so regardless of whether you think, you know, there should, you know, how much of a leap forward there ought to be, to me there ought to be some leap forward. And I think we're going to learn more about what kind of coach he actually is. And to me it's still an open question as to whether they hired a really, really tough, great coach who's just been in a really bad situation. Um in terms of the talent at his disposal, or whether a team that won 10 games last year maybe sort of should have won more than 10 games last year. Uh, that, yeah, they were trying to be bad, but they weren't trying to be 10 wins bad. You know, they, they weren't trying to be to challenge for the worst record in the history of the NBA. Yeah, but what I'll, but what I'll say is, Brett Brown cannot coach Jaleel Okafor to be a big man capable of defending four men. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the whole argument about Jaleel Okafor not being able to coexist with Joel Embiid on the court at the same time is that Jaleel Okafor can only guard people down low. Mm-hmm. Or, and when I say can, I mean there's, there's some question as to whether he yeah. can even do that. Yeah. But the problem is if you have Joel Embiid and, like, take, take the... Um, Take the Knicks, for example. 
Uh, I don't know who was playing center for them this year. I think they maybe they've got Noah. I, I think they might yeah, have traded for Noah, but Noah. last year was Robin Lopez. Mm-hmm. So if you have Embiid and Okafor on the court at the same time, Embiid is guarding Noah, mm-hmm. or last year it would have been Lopez. At that point, Okafor has to guard Porzingis. Right. Porzingis is just as capable of a perimeter player as he is a back-to-the-basket player. How are you... How is is Joel Okafor going to be able to Jaleel? What I say, Joel? Yeah, you 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 melded them into yeah, an awesome player. Jaleel, o- <laughs> yeah. Jaleel, how is Jaleel Okafor going to get Can't, a hand get a hand in Porzingis's three point shot while at the same time uh, being able to adjust if he decides to drive? Can you can you ski? For, to use a football term, can you scheme a way around it? Can you mix and match zones? With man to man, can you can you experiment in yeah, ways? You, abs- you, you know? absolutely can, and I think if they have, if, if I think that- you're right in the standpoint of if you just play straight up man to man, sure, Porzingis will dominate Okafor. He'll go to the right. basket. He'll take him outside. Whatever you want to do. So then that becomes incumbent upon Brett Brown. And again, maybe I, I don't know that. I'm not saying Brett Brown is a bad coach. Um, I, I'm saying I, we the jury's still. What out. I'm saying is if that if that fail, I put put it this way. If he can find a way to make it work, then we find out that he is a good coach. Right, but agreed. If it, but if it doesn't work, I don't know that that's because Brett Brown's a bad coach. I just think it's because Joey Okafor has slow feet and lacks the lateral mm-hmm. agility to guard anybody outside of the right. paint. Right, and, and we're going to have to kind of pare this down. I mean, that's that's the tough part about this whole discussion and where the Sixers are, is you're kind of, you're looking at the entire team through these... Um, individualized sorts of prisms. Like, what does the team look like with Okafor and Embiid at the floor at the same time? What does it look like with just Embiid on the floor and Sarich and this other combination? You know, because there's been a lot of discussion now that Embiid and Sarich are really, you know, built to work together. And there's some indication that they can do that so far in the preseason. What does it look like when Noel comes in off the bench? And does, you know, we saw a good bit of it last year with Okafor and it didn't work well. Is this simply a matter of like, you know, when Okafor is on the floor... No matter what other four players you got on the floor with him, nothing is going to work defensively because he's just that bad. I, you know, and and that's what's hard about this question well, think, is, you know, you're looking at it through trying to figure out, okay, what is the best possible lineup and scheme and situation for? But this I think team? that's why we're even a year away from knowing yeah. whether Brett Brown can coach or not. Like that I don't think be. that's why I don't think I don't know that this I, is that year. I think this is the year for him to like get another free pass and experiment because if you look at it, look, Embiid's only going to be playing. 15 and 20 minutes a night. Oh, I don't know about that. I think he's playing more than that now. You think? You think? Uh, it, yeah. So it's all? I haven't, I haven't. He's already, he played what, 18 the last time right. he played? Um, but you, so you think they're. I think, I think the temptation, put aside what they've said and what they've done in the preseason so far. I mean, literally, they went into the first preseason game saying, we're only going to play him 12 minutes, and they played him 13. So they, they incrementally pushed the boundary already in their first right. game, and it's continued to be pushed. And given the potential that he's shown, I think the temptation to continue playing him as much as they possibly can, I'm not saying 40 minutes a night, but I might say like 25 to 30 is going to be really hard for them to overcome. All right. Well, then I'll I'll frame it this way then. If Joel Embiid is playing 30 minutes a night for you, like none of your all your problems go away because yeah. Joel Embiid is playing 30 minutes right. a night for you. Like right. this guy I said on the last podcast I think he could be like Hakeem Olajuwon. Mm-hmm. Like I think he, I don't know that we've seen a big man with as soft hands and feet that he has. There was a great video clip from, you know, their preseason game against the Wizards of him guarding John Wall yeah. on the perimeter, and it's like, 
Yeah, it looks like a big man guarding a little man, but the fact is, like, he stayed. He, he stayed, stayed in with front. Him. He yeah. stayed in front of Wall and forced a bad shot. So, again, if we're trying to make, if our problem is that Joel Embiid is playing thirty minutes a night, then whatever. You right. Still, I mean, right. at that point, you can start thinking about selling Joel Okafor or Nolan's Noel for pennies on the dollar, right? Because you're living in La La Land, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, I'm I'm writing this down, and it's a shame that we don't have Cooney or or. Uh, Keith. Keith here to, to bounce this stuff off him, off them. But, the, I mean, they're kind of guessing just as well as us. I would say if Embiid is that guy for you, you're looking at a starting lineup that has Joel Embiid, and then at the four you have Sarge, Sarge. or Simmons once he comes, you know, mm-hmm. in future years or once he comes back. It sounds like Rodney Co- uh, Covington. Robert, yeah. Robert Covington is uh, – I'm really struggling with my first names today. <laughs> That's all right. I'm struggling with the last ones. Um, Covington Covington's kind of locked in as your three-man, and then you have Sergio or uh, – TJ. Or Sergio, TJ, or Henderson mm-hmm. at the one, and then Bayless or Henderson at the two, right? Right, yep. Um, at that point, I mean, Okafor and Noel, you know, aren't going to be sharing time with Embiid. No. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no. Embi- like at that point, Okafor is coming in and playing 20 minutes for you. Um, you know, like, I still find it hard to believe Embiid's going to play 30 minutes. Like, what I, I do, what too. I, so, I, I, so do I too. guess what I guess what I see is, uh, you know, Embiid... Embiid is a 25-minute-a-night player, that, that's and then Okafor gets the other 15 to 20. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, probably. Um, and, and you don't know what that... And Noel's in there in defensive situations. Right, and, right. And you don't know what that alignment or whatever alignment you choose might lead to. You know, Can you then flip an Okafor or a Noel for a competent guard, you know, right, or exactly. something like that, you know, and then all of a sudden you start to, you start to look more like the well-balanced team. That I guess what I'm saying is wants. at this point, I don't think, I don't know that, put it this way, at this point, if Brett Brown can somehow figure out a way to make his defense worth with Okafor and or Noel on the court at the same time mm-hmm. as Embiid, then great. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a bonus. Here's, but, but yeah. I think that if right now, Okafor and Noel are insurance policies for Embiid. You know, I mm-hmm. think that yeah, the absolutely. only reason they're even still here is because we don't know for a fact yet that Embiid is going to be that player. Right. I would that say this. Player. I would say this. Their defense has been so poor in the past couple of years and has not been good in this preseason. And that's that might be the one thing that kind of gives me pause in terms of Brett Brown as a coach. It's not as if you watch them play. It's not as if you know, pick a guy, Gerald Henderson or Nick Stauskas is in a guy's face and just gets beaten off the dribble or a taller player shoots over them. They give up a ton of open shots on the perimeter, open drives to the basket, that sort of thing. Now, again, if Embiid is healthy, you know, he can wipe away some of those drives to the basket. He can, he can, if he can guard John Wall on the perimeter, gosh, he can guard anybody on the perimeter. Um, And maybe that changes, but I watch that and I go, you know, they're not even in the right spot. Again, maybe that's a function of who they are talent-wise, but it also might be maybe whatever message Brett is trying to convey ain't getting through. Well, again, it comes back to what you, to kind of maybe come to a meandering full circle of what you were talking about with the Eagles. I mean, Brett Brown is here. Brett Brown was never here to be an X's and O's coach, right? He was here because he's uh, effusively optimistic and speaks well with the media and is regarded as a good talent development mm-hmm. and player relator. Do you know yeah. talent development or 
development guy. Yeah. And at that point, at this point in time, it, those are still the two chief characteristics sure. oh, yeah. you want out of your Sixers coach. You, you, these guys are still developing. Joel Embiid is going to be learning how to play five man if he stays healthy. Yeah. You know, Julia Okafor is going to be learning how to play. Like, for instance, if if your goal is to develop for the future, don't you want to put Joel uh, Jaleel Okafor in in you know situations where he's guarding someone like Porzingis? Sure. Right, but yeah. how can you if that doesn't work? How can you hold that against Brett Brown? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you can hold it against him. I guess I'm I'm asking, are there going to be indications from a schematic and coaching standpoint that this team is progressing? I, but what are your? I don't know. Better collective defenses in the way. But do I just you want? But, I guess. But again, like that, those two ends are at odds with each other. Making Julio Okafor the best individual defender he can become, and making the collective defense the best team defense it can be, because that will involve not putting Julio Okafor in situations where he can grow individually as a defender. Not necessarily. I mean, you can you can put Okafor out there, and that doesn't necessarily preclude a guard from being where the guard has to be to stop an open three-pointer. Right. You know? But I I just think, like you said, there's it just seems to me like there's two different... I just don't know that we're going to... I don't know that we're at a point yet. Because I've heard a lot, like you said, Bob, Bob wrote about it, you've mm-hmm. talked about it, and people have brought it up repeatedly, and I agree with it. We don't know if yeah. Brett Brown is a good... And I would venture to say he's not regarded as likely being a good coach because otherwise somebody else would pay him yeah. something to come to leave this situation and offer him a better situation to <laughs> right. be their coach. What I don't know is why anyone cares right now. I mean, there's still a year that's still, no, a year, I'm, it's still I'm at least you, a yeah. year away from I'm mattering. With, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I just, you know, and I, and believe me, I've written this like, you know, this is the year for experimentation. Put four big guys out there. Right. But then how can you blame, yeah. how can you judge I'm, Brett Brown? I, all I'm saying is I'm not judging him. I'm not going to base whether to bring him back next year based on this year. But like how do you even have criteria to like decide because, how he's doing? Because I can see if they do take a step forward, if he does experiment and it does work. What if it doesn't work? Okay, at least you tried. And Right, but how can you that doesn't bring you any closer to knowing whether Brett Brown is a good coach or not. It nothing is in a vacuum. I'm I'm suggesting that if you experiment and it works, okay. If you experiment and it doesn't work and if there perhaps are other situations in which fundamental aspects of defense, offense, whatever the case may be, aren't working? Like you can't, you can't get you know Joel Embiid. If Joel Embiid can't get shots, let's say for whatever reason, I'm just plucking something out of the sky. Then don't you then have to look at the coaching of that? Yeah. Okay. That's all I'm saying. I'm okay. saying it's 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 not. I'm not saying you evaluate him as a good coach or a bad coach based solely on this season. I am saying, though, that you are more able to do that this season than you have in the previous three. And I'm saying I don't know that you are. Okay. I think at this point, it's still... I I think this is the first season where we can actually see whether Brett Brown is any good at developing talent and experiment. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, Because he finally has talent to try to play around with. But I I do think this is... Like, again, I'm, I'm... If I'm Brett Brown this year... As much as he wants to win, and as much as it sounds like he's going to try his best to make this team a winner, especially with Simmons' injury, you're in a situation where this should be like, look, we're going to try to put Dario Saric in situations where we can find out what what we can expect out of him over the next few years. We're going to try to improve his, you know, like if he was a reliever, we're going to put him in high leverage situations to see how he responds. You know, like we're going to 
you know, try to make him go up the hundred pitches, yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. I don't think, I think all of that is self-evidentially at odds with judging a coach by, you know, a coach's ability to lead a group of legitimate NBA players to a high win total. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not, but I'm not expecting a high win total. I'm just spec- expecting if they're, if they still are as incompetent in some regards as they have been, it's going to be harder to pin that just on, well, he doesn't have any talent. It's going to be, okay, he's got some talent here, and is he, you know, are they growing and developing? Is he getting the most out of them? However you define the most. You know, I'm not suggesting I'm that, individual- I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that they got to win X games for Brett Brown to show no, up I know. coach. But I'm, I, I'm, saying- I'm even saying I don't think that, like, like, you're judging a coach of a playoff team based on how the collective body does in pursuit mm-hmm. of its goal of winning games. Right. Right now, I'm going to be judging Brett Brown on how does the sum of the parts, what does that equal? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, what- and I'm going to be judging him the same way. I'm, I, I am. I'm just saying that it's, it's easier, a little easier to do that this year because there is some talent. So let's see. Okay. And, and while I'm not necessarily totally sympathetic to it, there is an argument out there that while he had minimal to no talent over the previous three seasons – that even those groups could have been a little bit better. There's an argument out there. There are people within the NBA kind of saying that. that Maybe. You know. I just don't think it matters. Okay. And I think That's fair. If you're, if, I think on the list of things to look for, look at and worry about and get excited about, mm-hmm. Brett Brown's coaching ability is... Way down on the list. Way down on the list. All right. We'll see. As is my motivation to continue this podcast. <laughs> Mine too. I have to go keep bleeding out that column. I know, man. So I, I walked into the office today. And tickled the back of my ear. And tickled... No, it was your head. Was it? I, I'm so I tired. I don't your remember. Hair. I tossled your hair from behind. I don't have enough hair to tossle. And uh, over my shoulder, I saw a blank screen with gibberish written down. And Mike Sealski pounding his head. He looked like he was like uh, Sylvia Plath. And route to the daddy, daddy, to the, daddy. Uh, yeah. Well, the the five year old got up at three o'clock floor. in the morning, and you know they he got up tortured. again at three fifteen, and I'm struggling, man. Mike Mike Sielski puts his entire heart and soul and being into every one of his columns, and today he just looked like an empty shell of a man. So anyway, find his uh, latest offering. At <laughs> uh, we'll just t- to, just to remind you guys, we're recording this on a Tuesday, Mike. Yes, Tuesday. Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Please operate accordingly from here on out. Okay. Um, if you have any arrangement, I, I mean, since you thought this was Wednesday, like, do you have to like make sure your kids are all right and like they're not like sitting at the bus stop waiting for you or? I leave them at the bus stop every day. Okay. Yeah. If you crack the window, I hear it's like they're fine. They're fine. They're kids. They, They'll be okay. They're resilient. I heard Indians didn't used to like drive their kids to the school. They just kind of don't like, be racist. No, like, like, like <laughs> Indians. Like, uh, you ever hear that Indians didn't let their babies cry? Like, they wouldn't answer them. I heard mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. I didn't hear about yeah, Indians crying. Anyway, Sorry. just uh, I gotta go right. Tune in next week.